0: In preparation for our time around the Lord's table, let's uh, let's open up the Word of God, and I'll get you to turn to Hebrews, uh, in particular Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, I hope that uh, we can wrap up what we started a few weeks ago, and that is looking at the different titles, images of Christ throughout the book of Hebrews, Uh, That outline is still in your bulletin. Uh, If you want to follow along, we have really come to the end of it. We've only got two more titles. We've gone through 11 already, and really the the 13th, which is the high priest, we'll look at as we begin our study of Hebrews 7. Uh, So this morning we're just going to focus on Christ as our mediator this week I was um, with the, the preparation of looking at the, the metaphors of Christ. thought. What, what are the metaphors in the Old Testament that uh, speak of who God is and what he has done? And obviously there's a number of articles, a number of books that I perused. Uh, and I was amazed how many metaphors there are. I don't know if you've picked it up or even thought as you read, ah, oh, that's a metaphor. A lot of them are in the Psalms. As you would expect, metaphors would be part of the poetic language. I just dotted down a few, and these are the metaphors of God in the Old Testament. He's pictured as a king, a judge, a shepherd, a warrior, a fisherman, a kinsman, a bridegroom, a husband, a father. He's even pictured as a mother, a rock, a planter, a potter, a lion, a vulture, and even uh, man-made objects such as uh, shields. You remember in Genesis 15, one, he comes to Abram and says, Do not be afraid, fear not, for I am your what? I am your shield and a great reward for you. That's just a few. There, there's heaps. And I would encourage you uh, to look all the others up yourself. You can just Google it. You don't have to find a book. But again, all those metaphors, the Bible was written from God to us, and God wants us to know him. He He wants us to know what he's done. And many a time, and if not a lot of time, the language is metaphors because we can then understand. And of course, it's the same in the New Testament, not just pictures and images related to God, but as we've been studying in the book of Hebrews, pictures and images of Christ. Uh, the whole purpose of the writer of Hebrews is to uncover Christ, to, to get the people to look to Christ and to help them understand why they need to move forward, not to move back. And so the way that he does that is to help in helping them understand is to give them pictures metaphors. And as I said, the last few weeks we've been looking at them. And so this week uh, we're just going to look at one. And as I said, it's just going to be in preparation for a time around the Lord's table. And this is a perfect one. And that is Christ as our mediator. Three times, three times in the book of Hebrews, he's mentioned as the mediator. The first one, as you can see, if you're in Hebrews is in verse six. It reads, but now, or just but, depending on your translation, Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is, and here it is, the mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. Now, that's just one verse, but it's a mouthful. And if you're me, there's three particular words that just immediately jump out at you. And those three words are superior, better, and better. You see that? Jesus has a superior ministry, a better covenant, and with that better covenant, better promises. Now, why does he say this? You'll notice at the very beginning of the verse, there's a but, or a but now, and and, um, that tells us that these three words, superior, better, and better, are making three contrasts. Three contrasts between the old and the new, which again is what the writer of Hebrews has practically done throughout the whole book. One of his favorite words is what? Better. These folks were thinking about going back to Judaism, which is really going back to the what? The Old Testament, back to the Old Covenant. And if you want to make your case to not go back and to go forward, then you've got to tell them that that the New Covenant is what? Better. And he does that. And here in one sentence, he summarizes it and says that Jesus is not only having a better or more superior ministry, but he is a better mediator of a better covenant based on better promises. Now, just to get the full flow and so you understand the context, go all the way back up to verse 1. I mean, I know we're just jumping into verse 6, but you've got to see the whole context to get the contrast. Now, you go back up to verse 1 and I love this, he's been writing for seven chapters, and just in case you haven't gotten a point in the seven chapters, he summarizes it here, and he says, now the main point, I love that, now the main point of what is being said is this, we have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister, and we saw that as one of our uh, other metaphors that's a metaphor he's a minister a servant of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the lord and not man for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices therefore it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer now here here comes the contrast now if he Jesus were on earth well he wouldn't be a priest Why? Since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law. These serve, these earthly priests and tabernacles, Serve as a copy, a shadow. So this is the typology. This is all foreshadowing of what's to come. So these serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mount. So you get that. You you go all the way back to Exodus 25. God says, I want to be in your midst. I want to walk in your midst. Uh, You are my people I am your God, and there's this covenant relationship, and so if I'm going to dwell in your midst, I'm going to dwell in your midst in a tabernacle, and there's going to be priests to mediate between you and me. They're going to represent you and coming to me to offer the sacrifices. That they're ministers. And you remember, you can move through Leviticus, all the, the meticulousness of You know, the priests have to wear this, and the tabernacle has to look like that. And there's the the furniture, and there's the veil, and there's the the Holy of Holies, and there's the the Ark of the Covenant, and there's the cherubim. And and you just read all that. And, of course, for us, we read it and go, okay, okay, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. But for them, God is a precise God, and he has to be worshipped precisely. This was very important. Even the perfume had to be made just for God. If you made it for somebody else, boom, you're dead. Go ask, you know, in Leviticus 10, Nadab, and Abihu what what God thinks about just um, strange fire, as it were. So all of that was good. And as we read in 2 Corinthians 3, all of that was glorious. And even the writer of Hebrews says it came with glory. But there's something better. There's something better. And here it comes in verse 6. But now, look at it, Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry than those of the priests. And to that degree, He is the mediator of a better covenant. Now, who is the mediator of the Old Covenant? Moses. So you call it the Mosaic Covenant. You call it the Sinaitic Covenant. We call it the Old Covenant. They're all synonymous names. And there were promises to that, as I said already. It meant that you had a relationship with God. That's pretty, pretty good. Any relationship with God is a, a gracious relationship and it's a, a gracious covenant. But here now is a better covenant with a better mediator, and it's all established, notice at the end of verse 6, on better promises. But the contrast, if, you, if, if you're not getting it, the contrast comes in verse 4. Here's the key if he were on earth, he would not be a priest but he is a priest. That's what he says. But now, since Christ is a priest, well, where is he doing his priestly job? I mean, if you're a priest, you, you, you can't be a priest without a temple, and you can't be have a temple without an altar, and you can't have an altar without a sacrifice. So if we go back to the premise that Christ is a priest, where is his temple, and what is his sacrifice? That's, that, that's all going to make the argument of how much better he is, right? And that's what he says. If he were on Earth, he would not be a priest, but now, since Christ is a priest and must have a sanctuary and offering, he has a more excellent, or you could call it, superior ministries or ministry. So again, the question comes, where is his temple? Where is Christ's temple? And what is his sacrifice? Now, if you, if, if you can answer those two, then you understand the argument that he's making. You, you will now get why, one, he has a more excellent or more superior ministry, two, why it's a better covenant, and with that, why it is a, with that, better promises. And by the way, better here means better in the sense of more useful, more profitable, unlike the old covenant old old covenant was was good old covenant was glorious but it doesn't compare to the new covenant by the way let's just stop and ask that question why is the new covenant better than the old covenant why is the new covenant better than uh, the old covenant well the answer is right there in verse 6 in a word it's because of what better promises that's the key it is better because of the promises that are attached to it. Now, of course, he gives you those in case they forgot. Notice all the way from uh, well, from verse eight all the way down to verse twelve. What does he do? He, he cuts and pastes Jeremiah thirty-one. Remember, the new covenant was promised in the old uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, two texts in particular: Jeremiah thirty-one, Ezekiel thirty-six. But there's a, a number of places where the new covenant said uh, God said the new, a new covenant's coming. And I won't take time to read it, but there you have it from verse 8 all the way down to verse 12. He lays it out for you what those better promises are. And in a word, the new covenant is better because of the better promises. And what is better in the better promises is that you get what? You get life. Did you catch that? You you get eternal life. That was Paul's point all the way back in 2 Corinthians 3. Now, I don't want you to turn back there, but I just want you to listen. Just let me remind you in, in some bullet points why Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, in comparing the old with the new, makes the new better. In fact, how many times did he use the word glorious? Did you catch that as we were reading it? More glorious, more glorious, more glorious. Well, first of all, the Old Covenant was written on tablets of stone. Right? Moses had two tablets. The Ten commandments on each of the tablets. One for for God and, and, and one for the people. It wasn't five and five. It was ten and ten. And both of them were put in the Ark of the Covenant. New Covenant, however, is not written on tablets of stone. Where is it written on? Yeah, it's, it's written on the hearts of men. It's written on the heart. He also says that... Um, It's a ministry of death. Did you catch that? It's a ministry of death. Why is it a ministry of death? Because as soon as you look at the Ten Commandments, you're dead. Why is that? Because the wages of sin is death. And you look at the Ten Commandments, and at least at one point you violated it, if not all of them. It's a ministry of death. The New Covenant, on the other hand, is a ministry of what? It's a ministry of of life. The veil, remember he discusses the veil, the veil. Remember when, when Moses had to meet with with God, he had, a, had to put a veil on his face because he couldn't see the glory of God. His face was shining, so he had to put a veil on it. But he contrasts that with the new covenant and that the veil's where? It's gone. We can see Christ face to face. We can see God face to face. We're in the presence of God. We don't need a, what? Another earthly priest to go before us. Remember, the priests were to represent the people. We don't need that. Now, we need a mediator, but we don't need an earthly priest anymore. We can go straight into the presence of God. The curtain has been torn. The veil has been pulled back. None of that happened in the Old Testament. Remember even last week when we were talking about Christ as as the pioneer. The whole point of a pioneer was someone that goes before uh, with the idea of somebody following. In the Old Covenant on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the presence of God, but nobody was following him. Right? He went in and he went out. Was he a, a, a pioneer? No. Was he a forerunner? No. So you see how he's making his case here. I do believe that Second Corinthians three is a wonderful commentary on, uh, well, that ver- this verse here, Hebrews eight six, but just on the on, on the the glory of the new covenant. Let me add to that list, however, I don't know if you ever really sat down and chewed over why is the new covenant better than the old. We're going to get to a lot of this as we move through um, Hebrews. But for now, let me just give you a a list. Let me add to Paul's list in 2 Corinthians 3. Number one, the old covenant was mediated by Moses while the new covenant is mediated by Jesus Christ. That sounds good. The old covenant enslaves while the new covenant makes man free. It gives man freedom, liberty. The old covenant leaves man imperfect while the new covenant leaves man perfect. The old covenant exposes sin while the new covenant removes sin. The Old Covenant brings a curse while the New Covenant redeems from a curse. The Old Covenant is a shadow while the New Covenant is the reality. The Old Covenant is covered, is a covered glory while the New Covenant is glory uncovered. You just said that. The Old Covenant had many high priests while the New Covenant has only one. That's Jesus. The Old Covenant had earthly priests while the New Covenant has a heavenly priest. The Old Covenant had an earthly tabernacle, while the new covenant has a heavenly tabernacle. The old covenant priesthood was in the lineage of Aaron, while the new covenant priesthood is in the Melchizedek lineage. And we'll get to that in Hebrews seven. But the difference is not only is Jesus a priest, but he's also a what? He's a king. He's the king priest. He didn't have that in the Old Testament. And the Old Covenant priests. The high priests even were what? Sinners. While the New Covenant uh, Jesus is not a Not a sinner. He had no sin. He was harmless, blameless, undefiled. And then lastly, there could be more, but I just jotted these down. In the Old, the law was written on the stone tablets while the New Covenant, the law was written on the people's hearts. And again, you can see that right there in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 31 that the writer of Hebrews quotes. It's right there in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's the new covenant. This is why it's all better. Why Jesus has a more superior ministry, why he's the mediator of a better covenant, it's all because of better promises now we're discussing Jesus as mediator and you might be saying well okay Todd let's 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 define that for me i think i know what a mediator is what is a mediator at least what is a biblical mediator well let's 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 do that the word uh, the word in the greek just simply means middle uh, or in the midst it, it, it describes someone who stands in the middle between two people and brings them together so in that sense is a reconciler that's why, uh, if you notice in the, your bulletin in the title I gave this week, I didn't say part five because I thought, oh, great, everybody's going to look at that. And think, Here we go again. No, I, I changed the title to Jesus, our mediator, the one who saves and reconciles. Because that's what a mediator does. He saves and he reconciles. Basically, it is a, a, a neutral and trusted person in the middle Uh, We we might call him the middleman, an arbiter. It is the one who works to remove disagreement and thus serves as a mediator, go-betweener, or as I said, a reconciler. Now, when I read that, and just, I I don't know about you and your Bible study, but I kind of just stopped, put the pen down. Yes, I I handwrite. Um, I chew on it. I meditate on it. And I was thinking, well, hang on a second. He doesn't spell it out here, but if I were to put a footnote on he is the mediator of a new covenant, I would have to explain all the implications of that. In other words, why do we need a mediator? Why is there a middleman? Why did God send Jesus to be a mediator? Here's what I came up with. And just think with me here. First, a mediator acts on the behalf of two people, not just one, right? He's acting on the behalf of two people. So in other words, Jesus is acting for who? He's acting on the behalf of God, but he's also acting on the behalf of who? Us. Why? Because there's some issues between God and us, right? We need a mediator. First Timothy 2.5 tells us, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ, Jesus. So he's acting on our behalf. And he's acting on God's behalf. That's what a middle man does. He's neutral, so to speak. Secondly, a mediator implies that there is a disagreement or enmity between the two parties. In other words, a mediator brings peace between them. And there's so many verses on, on this. You can think of Romans 5. But my favorite verse is Zechariah 6. Zechariah 6 uh, talks about the, the coming Messiah where he will be a king priest. The priest will be on the throne. And then this, there will be a peaceful council between the two of them. There will be peace between the two of them. Peace between whom? Between Yahweh and the people. The Messiah is going to come as a mediator, so there will be peaceful council. There will be Peace. Again, implying that there's what? Disagreements or enmity between them. Thirdly, a mediator is necessary when the differences between the parties are too great and cannot be resolved between them. You you ever been in a disagreement with a family member or a friend and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and and it's just not getting anywhere so you have to bring in a what? A mediator. A third party to come between you to, to sort it out. Jesus is this mediator. Isaiah 59.2, God through Isaiah says, your iniquities are separating you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Isaiah 64.7, yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And, of course, Romans 3, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Man left on his own won't turn to God. Somebody needs to step in and sort this thing out. Fourthly, the necessity of a mediator implies, listen to this, That reconciliation is not just the goal, but it's also the desire. In other words, because God sent Jesus to mediate, there will be reconciliation. Right? In other words, there's no plan B. Remember Jesus in John 6 said, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. He goes on to say, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, my Father. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those whom he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. No one, and this is where I say it's going to happen, there's no plan B. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, sent me as who? As the mediator, draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. All of that hopefully helps you understand why Jesus is our mediator. We need a mediator. You need a medi- mediator. You need someone to bring reconciliation between you and God because of your sins. You need a Savior to draw you and saving you from your sins and appeasing God's wrath so that there can be reconciliation between you and God. That doesn't happen in the Old Covenant. Priests couldn't do that. Moses couldn't do that. The ministry of death, Remember? There's no life. There's no eternal life. So, I mean, if you're a one of these Jewish Christians receiving this, why, why would you go back to Judaism? Why would you go back to the Old Covenant? Sure, it's better than the paganism of Babylon. Sure, it's better than the paganism of Egypt. Still damns you, but it's better, a little bit better. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, a more superior ministry, all because of better promises. By the way, as we've been seeing a lot of these metaphors, uh, their beginnings is in the Old Testament, not just right here in the New Testament. And you see this with the idea of mediator. There is a a typology here. In the Old uh, Covenant, we've already mentioned one. Uh, The mediator, you could see in the priesthood, but you can also see the, 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 the role of a king as a mediator. You could see the role of a prophet as a mediator. And, of course, the, the role of prophet, priest, and king are all bound up in who Christ is and what he, what he does. A good summary of that is in the 1689 London Baptist Confession. I thought this was the best way to lay it out for you. Let me just read it for you. This is a great summary here. It says, God was pleased in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, according to the covenant made between them. And here it is to be the mediator between God and humanity. God chose him to be prophet, priest, and king, and to be head and savior of the church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world from all eternity. God gave to the son a people, to be his offspring in time, these people would be redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified by him. All because he's the mediator. That's a wonderful summary. On the heels of that, I I was reading this week uh, John Dagg. John L. Dagg, who was a 19th century Baptist. And I found it really interesting how he connected Jesus's mediating roles uh, as prophet, priest, and king to our Christian service. So this isn't just head knowledge. This, this has a practical uh, relevance, as it were. Uh, let, let me show you what I mean by this. Uh, and I found this helpful. He says this, these mediatorial, mediatorial roles or offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king, are also adapted to the graces which distinguish and adorn the Christian character. Chief of these, as enumerated by Paul, are faith, hope, and love. And, and watch how he connects those virtues with Christ's uh, mediatorial roles. He says this: In the exercise of faith, we receive the truth revealed by Christ the prophet. In the exercise of hope, We follow Christ the priest who has entered into the holiest of all to appear before God before us. And, thirdly, we submit to Christ the king in the exercise of love, which is the fulfilling of the law, the principle and sum of all holy obedience. Isn't that good? I found that good. I found that really encouraging. Yes, I'm to exercise faith, hope, and love. But how wonderful it is to see faith, hope, and love exercised when I look at Christ as prophet, priest, and king. So, here we are. Hebrews 8, 6. Jesus is the mediator. He is the one who stands between men and God to bring them together. Based on what? Based on this new and better covenant now let's expand on that because I said two more times he mentions this go over to Hebrews nine verse fifteen hebrews 9 fifteen he here again he calls Christ the mediator he says there, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the Internal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, if you're comparing this verse to what we just read, what do you see by way of difference? Back in chapter 8, verse 6, he describes Jesus as the mediator of a what? Better covenant. Here, though, he calls it the what? Mediator of a new covenant. Better, we said, was what? More profitable it's better. Here it's new. New in what sense? Well, the, the Greek word here signifies new in respect to time, not, not quality. Now, it is better in quality or new in quality, but, but what he's talking about here is new in time. This is the second covenant. This, is, this isn't the first one mediated by Moses. This is the second one mediated by Jesus, the subsequent covenant. Uh, New here describes that which has already come into existence, but for a relatively short time. That's that's, uh, just getting to the, the, the Greek understanding. This temporarily and qualitatively new covenant is a better covenant of which Jesus is, as we already discussed, the guarantee and mediator. Now, by the way, you'll notice at the beginning of this verse, like we saw with the other verse, uh, there's something that connects it with the previous verses. There's a therefore. And you ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Or you might have, for this reason, or this is why. He's making an argument in here. Uh, again, another contrast. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Okay, well, why are you telling me this? Go back up to verse 11. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, This is a heavenly tabernacle. That's good. Verse 12, he entered the most holy place once for all time. Do you have any Catholic friends? He says this a number of times. It's a good verse to go to because in in every Mass, they believe you're what? Re-crucifying Christ? Uh Uh-uh. Christ has been crucified how many times? Once for all time. You can't get away from that, can you? That's what it says. He has been crucified once for all time and has entered the most holy place for one time. The old covenant had the blood of goats, calves, but now, remember I said earlier, if Jesus is a priest, it assumes that he has a temple and he has a sacrifice with him. Oh, the temple's where? In heaven. But what's the sacrifice? Sacrifice is His own blood, right? He's not just the priest, but He's also the sacrifice. He enters the most holy place, which is heaven. He enters God's presence as the, our high priest bringing His own blood. That, that's, that's The picture's there in the Old Testament, but the reality is here in the New. And that's what it says here. And the whole purpose of bringing His own blood, look at the end of verse 12, to obtain eternal redemption. And the Old Covenant, you could say there was temporal redemption. There was forgiveness of sins, but it wasn't an eternal forgiveness of sins. It, it, was, it was the washing of sins so that God would remain in the temple, so that God would remain in their midst, but it, it didn't, didn't cleanse, as it will say in a minute, their conscience. In fact, notice there in verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, only did what? It only sanctified for the purification of the flesh. It just cleansed the flesh, cleansed the outside. That that was necessary. Again, for the purpose of God remaining in their midst. How much more? This is why it's better. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, not just for the outside, but more importantly, to cleanse us in the inside, to cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. This is eternal salvation. God seeks what? God seeks true worshipers. True servants. Where the law of God is written on their hearts. And this is all bound up in the new covenant. This is why He is the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant. And then, lastly, go to Hebrews twelve twenty-four as we wrap this up. Hebrews twelve twenty-four. This is the third and, and last time He's described as a mediator. Pick it up at verse twenty-two. In fact, instead, what what is that? you in here's another contrast coming instead you have come to mount zion in the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem to to myriads of angels a festive gathering to the assembly of the firstborn and we already saw that described as jesus but it's also described of us whose names have been written in heaven to a judge who is god of all to the spirits of a righteous people made perfect Verse 24, and to Jesus, here it is, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Again, here's a contrast. We come to where? Mount Zion. Where do the Old Testament folks go to? Mount Zion. So there's a compare contrast here. They went to Mount Zion. We're going to... Uh, they went to Mount Sinai. Rather, we're going to Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. God comes down in thunder and lightning, the great theophany. Now, notice how the writer summarizes it here. That that experience back in Exodus 19, verse 18. There was a blaze. There was a place of blazing fire. There was darkness, there was gloom, there was storm. Verse 19 says, the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. I mean, it was terrifying. It it was frightening. Notice it says, those who heard it begged not another word be spoken to them. This is too much. Verse 20, if you got close, if you touched the mountain, you were stoned. Verse 21, I mean, for Moses even, it was so terrifying that he was trembling with fear. And then comes verse 22, instead. you see that? Instead. What's our experience? That was their experience. What's our experience? Well, he says again, we've come to a better mountain, a better city. There's angels there. There's festivity there. And there's only the elect there. There's a righteous judge there. And best of all, there's Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Sounds like a deal, doesn't it? And again, you make that argument. How can anybody disagree with that? How can anybody say, you know what, I'm not going, uh, I, I, I can't, this is too much. I'm going back to the old, I'm going back to Judaism. Or f- for some of you who might be wrestling, uh, of course you might not be going back to Judaism, but you might go back to wherever you came from. Are you going to go back to the world? What, what is the world giving you? Where is the world heading? Why would you forsake such a great salvation? It's a rhetorical question, right? I mean, you forsake Jesus, the mediator. You're gonna you forsake this mountain. You 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 forsake the one who has instituted and ratified. A new and better covenant. You 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 forsake the one who guarantees an eternal inheritance. You forsake one who secures a, a, a complete and final forgiveness of sins. You, you didn't find that in the old covenant. There was no forgiveness of eternal sins. There was there was forgiveness of temporal sins, but there was no forgiveness of eternal sins in the old. You only find that in the new covenant, and that's why he says that the blood of Jesus. Is what? Better than the blood of Abel. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, Abel's blood testified to his faith, right? God accepted his sacrifice over over Cain. Not because of the sacrifice, but because of his what? His faith. We learn that a little bit later in Hebrews 11. He brought it by faith. Cain did not. So that's why I say Abel's blood testified to his faith, to his trust in God in offering his sacrifices And as great as that was, he makes the comparison here, Jesus' blood is more superior to Abel. Why? Because it sprinkles clean those who trust him. Abel's blood doesn't do anything. The blood of bulls and goats doesn't do anything. The blood of all the martyrs uh, that we can read throughout history don't do anything. Old, New Testament church history. Uh, The only blood that counts... If you want salvation, it is the blood of Christ. The Bible's clear that in the blood is life, and life in the blood had to be shed in order for those who were damned. Jesus' blood is better than Abel's because it secures forgiveness. And as he says here, the heavenly mountain is. Uh, Or the heavenly Mount Zion is better than Mount Sinai, for it brings us into God's presence. This is all what Jesus did for us as our mediator. Do you you understand that? Charles Spurgeon says this The center around which we gather in these days is not Sinai with its thunder and its fire, it is the cross. No, it is heaven. It is the enthroned Savior. It is the great mediator of a better covenant than that of which Moses came to speak. We gather there and we make up a part of that vast throng that now surrounds that center. Oh, that while we, we, why we, while that, while we hear the sweet voice of the gospel, we may lend it a willing ear, and may we not be among the number of those who reject the voice of that speaks from the heavens to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. End quote. So, who's Jesus? What have we seen? Uh, Jesus is the one who sanctifies. He's the one that's the apostle, the builder, the source of eternal life, the guarantee, the minister, the great shepherd, the heir, the firstborn, the pioneer, the perfector, the forerunner, and here, the mediator. Jesus is the mediator. He is the one who stands between men and God to bring them together on the basis of the new covenant. He is the savior and he is the reconciler. That is what he is as the mediator. And that has been the story from the beginning. You remember in Acts 4, the apostle Paul gets up and said, there is no one, there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. God has only given one name. And that's Jesus Christ. Let me close with Stephen Charnock. The Puritan Stephen Charnock says this, God, apart from Christ, is an angry, offended sovereign. Unless we behold him in and through Christ the mediator, the terrors of his majesty would overwhelm us. We dare not approach the Father except in Christ because of our sins. We first fasten our eyes upon Christ, then upon the Father. If Christ does not bear our guilt and reconcile us unto God, we perish. Before any man can think to stand before the face of God's justice or be admitted to the secret chamber of God's mercy or partake of the riches of His grace, he must first look to the mediator, Christ Jesus, end quote. Father, we thank You that we can meditate on what it means for Christ to be our mediator. It's so clear. we thank You that You sent Him. Uh, We thank You that He has been our middleman saving us and reconciling us to you. I thank you that He's a mediator of a better covenant, a new covenant based on better promises. And this is open for everyone. This is the gospel that's freely offered to everyone. And if there's any here today, uh, that does not know you may what we just read in the words of Charnock ring in their ears and in their hearts that they cannot approach you apart from Christ and if they die in their sins without their sins forgiven they will be in the presence of a God who is angry and wrathful And they will feel and bear his wrath forever and ever. Lord, stir all of our hearts. For us who are saved, may we boil up with gratitude and thankfulness. And for those who aren't saved, Lord, may they, in a real sense, feel your wrath above them and over them. May they recognize and know that they need a mediator they need a savior they need a reconciler and Lord, for us who are the lords we now come around the lord's table Will we remember that we remember his death remember that he is the priest who has the heavenly temple but brings in his own blood as a sacrifice in the quietness of our hearts may we be thanking you. May we be confessing sin if necessary. We don't want to eat or drink in an unworthy manner. This is a time of communion, a communion with you. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.